0: This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Uh, our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Ms. Danny Antman. She is an uh, energy healer, a spiritual seeker, and author. Her book, Wired for God, Adventures of a Jewish Yogi. Uh, Danny, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Uh, Danny, um, there's an awful lot of so-called Hindus in America, people who uh, found their way to Eastern traditions uh, uh, from Jewish upbringings. Um, Your story is particularly interesting in that regard. Why don't you give us a brief overview of how you came to uh, the work you do and to uh, your status as a Jewish yogi?
1: I will. Um, first of all, I was brought up in a very ordinary secular Jewish home in Queens, New York. Philip, I think we share our East Coast backgrounds.
0: And uh, New York City. I, I'm, I'm, I'm yes. from, I was born in Jersey City and okay. grew up in that area. So I'm with you. Yeah.
1: All right. <laughs> And there's no precedence for my life with my, <laughs> in my background whatsoever, so there was something deep in my soul that I think from a very early age was a seeker, and um, I was kind of moving along on a pretty ordinary path until my early 30s, and in my early 30s, I was about to get married, and had always read spiritual books. And um, I had an experience with a channeler of all, all things in New York City, who told me I was a healer. And I don't I didn't even know what that was. She said, find a book. So I found a book. And the book I found was hands of light Barbara Brennan's hands of light. And I felt electrified when I read the book. I had never had a feeling like that running through my body, and I had to meet her. And subsequently, I met her and studied with her. And that work introduced me to the concept of a subtle body and the chakra system. Um, Barbara was American and a scientist, and she had a particular gift of clairvoyance and an ability to perceive the subtle body. So... It wasn't just book knowledge. I, I entered a four-year training with her where the subtle body, we were taught to perceive the subtle body, feel it, sense it, see it, and then work with it for the purpose of healing. I did not know anything about the Vedic teachings at that point until I read Autobiography of a Yogi. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: And um, that was a life-changing <laughs> book for me, as it was for many people. Um It was Yogananda's yearning for the divine that also electrified me. And um, by the end of my four years of healing studies, I knew I would become a healer, but something else was happening and that the yearning for God um, became stronger and stronger. And I started to search for a teacher and... um, You know, they say you have to knock three times. I encountered some problems in that search. Um, The very first person, um, other than Barbara Brennan, that I encountered, who kind of looked like a yogi to me, um, ended up being very seductive, and I got very seduced. And um, in hindsight, as a healer, I've encountered many people on the spiritual path who have been seduced by teachers. So um, I think one of my purposes on in life right now is to um help people who have had that experience because I've had that experience. Mm-hmm. And you don't always find the right spiritual teacher right off the bat. Um, even Yogananda didn't. Um, he had a search. At, um, so I got very disillusioned for a period of time. And um During that time, I was pointed towards a teacher of Kabbalah, and that teacher was also a healer and someone I knew from my healing training, and he had been a student of Zen and Advaita and non-dual teachings, and he discovered a way of teaching Kabbalah in a very experiential and non-symbolic way, and also a non-dual way. And my heart, again, I, I mean, I feel things in my body. So when my heart gets excited, I know I'm on the right path. And my soul was just thrilled with Kabbalah and Kabbalistic teachings. Um, they felt familiar to me. And again, I learned a way to use um, the main glyph or map of consciousness of Kabbalah as a form of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, should I pause here or keep going
0: yeah yeah let me I wanted to ask you a couple of things yeah, yeah. Barbara, and then we'll go back to phil uh, i I read that uh, even early in life uh, you, you your Jewish upbringing from a spiritual perspective, you felt unfulfilled like something was missing uh, when 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 did that when did you realize that, and was there anything in particular that happened or did not happen that caused you to feel you needed to look elsewhere for spirituality, either it, it, it to replace your, uh, your, your Judaism or to enhance it?
1: Well, you know, I was born in 56. So by the time I was a young person, 1969, you know, at the bat mitzvah age, when, when you mm-hmm. make a commitment to your religion, um, the Jewish uh, meditation movement had not started Jewish renewal had not started, and basically I was bored silly <laughs> mm-hmm. in temples. I just, it just didn't speak to me. I didn't understand Hebrew. I wasn't educated. Um, that was half choice, half my parents' outlook. And um, it just didn't touch me at all. Um, nevertheless, it was kind of drummed into my head that I was Jewish and should marry a Jewish man.
3: <laughs> well, of
1: <laughs> it.
2: That that is not uncommon. Um so danny at what point did the Kundalini teachings that you learned from your uh, guru in Rishikesh come into play? And by the way, and we should also mention before we get into that that um we uh, in our archive is our interview with Joan Harrigan, right. who, who uh, also studied with the same kundalini mm-hmm. master and uh, uh, started her practice here in Tennessee. So people uh, can learn from, from that interview as well. Please, please uh, go on with uh, you know, how you integrated the kundalini science with the kabbalistic work.
1: Right. Um, First of all, Joan is also my teacher, very much so, especially since Swamiji, Swami uh, Chandra Sikaranan Saraswati has passed. Um, I spent, uh, I think, 12 years with my Kabbalah teacher, Jason Shulman. Um, I became a teacher at his school. I was very absorbed in Kabbalah and um, the embodied practice of a kind of non-dual Kabbalah. And I was going to be given more and more responsibility as a teacher. And as I was approaching that kind of expansion, I was not feeling very well. I wasn't sick, but I was very tired. And something started to shift in my um, inner being. And instead of being excited and satisfied with that um, upcoming expansion... I felt myself searching again, and I didn't quite know why. And I was actually upset by that thought because it was my life, and yet I knew something was about to change. And you could say that was coming from someplace inner that was not quite conscious but was present. And I started to literally pray for help because I didn't want my life to change. I didn't want to upset my teachership. Um, Nevertheless, there was this pull. And within two weeks of a very, very soulful and deep prayer, I went to a lecture in New York City about Kundalini science and Swamiji and Joan were both there. And when I had um, listened to their teachings, um, Swamiji described a particular kind of Kundalini rising. There's six altogether, and there's many variations. I'm sure this Joan talked about that a bit. Within the six, there can be multiple evolutions of those risings or, or variations of them. But the rising he described, felt I felt like a poster child for it. He said it was common to Jewish people, um, that it did not culminate in enlightenment, That it um, was a deflected rising, which started at the genitals and went straight up to the brain and then often fell down, causing depression. It would cause glimpses of enlightenment and open brain centers, uh, great intelligence, esoteric gifts, all of which I had, and then depression because you lost your glimpse. And he also said it was related to the Jewish lineage in that the adepts of that lineage um, had encouraged that rising and then didn't encourage the kind of diversion it needed to culminate in enlightenment. And they, the, those adepts who were corrupt at that time um, used the initiates um, for their knowledge, but didn't give them the opening to real culmination in enlightenment. And everything he described about this rising applied to me in my current state and especially burnt out neurotransmitters. I was using my gifts for healing and it was actually burning me out at the time because of this particular rising. So at the end of this um, two day presentation in New York, um, we went up individually to say goodbye and Swami just laughed, Swamiji just laughed and looked at me and he said, what rising do you think you have? And I said, the Vajra rising. <laughs> and he laughed because I knew and he knew. I mean, I was just like an obvious candidate. And he just very gently said, come to us. Well, it's easy to fix. And my first retreat was a two-week retreat back in August 2002, And I was given a personalized practice, as everybody is who worked with them. So one-on-one personalized yogic practice that enabled my Jewish rising to switch into the central column, the Shashumna, and progress to makra Point, which is at the third eye. And this happened on the third day of my retreat. It was as real as concrete. And, um, it was a very, very sacred experience. I have actually never experienced anything like that. And, um, Swamiji and Joan call the arrival at this Makara point at the third eye, the beginning of spiritual stabilization, the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I had been a teacher for 12 years Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's kind of, this was just the beginning. So there was a it was a little shocking to me, to say the least.
0: Danny, uh, if I could ask you, I read that in your meditation practice, you use uh, Hebrew names of God uh, and Hebrew chant. Uh, but in your yoga practice, you use Sanskrit chants and mantras. Uh, wh- wh- is there a reason why you use Hebrew in one and Sanskrit in the other?
1: Well, I stopped doing regular uh Yoga And Swamiji gave me Hebrew Names of God as my spiritual um, progress uh, continued. But in the beginning, so let's say I worked with them for, I don't know, uh, 14 years until the kundalini completed. And the first five years were what they call renovation and restoration of the subtle body. And most people on the non-dual path don't talk about this, although Adya Shanti has been has hinted at it in some of his books that he had a five year period of integration because my own subtle body was not in good shape. I was a bit burnt out. It took five years to just have the beginnings of um, energetic stabilization while my system purged. The Kundalini was basically raging through my system and repairing my subtle body and I had a lot of symptoms and I needed um a lot of guidance and one of my personal missions I believe is to help people with that phase if i can um, of um supporting people in spiritual practice mm-hmm. and letting them not know that right, letting right. them know that they're not crazy mm-hmm. and that they can get through this part because right,
0: right. if i if I could interrupt and end one. Uh, Phil, one yeah, more question along these lines: uh, If Kundalini practice is not done properly, can it be dangerous?
1: Um, yes, I, I would say yes. It can it can create unpleasant and uncomfortable symptoms. Yeah, and can not you
2: elaborate only- a bit on that, Danny, because there's a lot of uh, people out there uh, with cre- to my mind questionable credentials talking about kundalini and, and, and uh, teaching people various practices to uh, en- enliven or awaken kundalini.
1: Right, it's not something I recommend. So one of the things that was so illuminating that I learned from Swamiji and Joan, PKYC, Patanjali Kundalini Yoga Care, was that it's a very, very individual process. And the state that your subtle body is in has a lot to do with how you'll experience kundalini. And the type of rising you have has a lot to do with how you experience kundalini. So if you are given um, general practices, let's say pranayama, breathing practices, that are very um, stimulating, that stimulate the heat in the body through pranayama, and you had a rising like I did, or one of the deflected risings, it would be very, very uncomfortable. Um, if you have had a drug past, or had heartbreak, or trauma, sexual trauma, or um, brain trauma, or I don't know, any number of other things, um, your subtle body is in a weakened condition, and then Kundalini can be like a freight train rising through your system, and you don't have the energetic container for it. So you, you you very often might need individual guidance to build that container so that the process can progress peacefully. Mm-hmm. Some people it, it, have a good energy body and it's peaceful.
0: Right. Danny, uh, you, you mentioned at the beginning and it, it relates to what we're talk, you're talking about now. And that is that you've had good and bad teachers on your path. And uh, how... what would you recommend to someone who's starting out uh, as a spiritual seeker and looking for a teacher, uh, what criteria would you recommend they use to evaluate uh, a good from a bad teacher?
1: Well, number one, if they're seducing students and and there's an obvious sexual vibe between teacher and student, run. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Run as fast as you can. Number two, look at the students, senior students around them, and see—you know—the fruits from the tree. Um, are they somebody who um, who, ha- who has qualities that you would want to aspire to? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a peaceful and elevated um, consciousness around the, the teacher and the and the people around them? And can they can can you ask questions of the teacher? Or is it just on the master and it's a one way street that that doesn't work for me anymore um, let's see what else anything you can think of <laughs> oh lots. lots lots yeah many
0: many things i think i think you you <laughs> cover you, a you, lot of you very good the points right, uh, mm-hmm.
2: cult avoidance uh, uh criteria um yeah. Uh, Danny, I'm 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 really curious about the uh, integration of uh, Kabbalah and and your yogic uh, training. Uh, I was uh, there's a, there are a lot of um, I mean one of the things I I, I I learned in researching American Veda was how many uh, Jews and Christians have uh, adapted yogic methods into their own religious context. So we have. Uh, rabbis uh, chanting in uh, kirtan style, but using Mm -hmm. Hebrew. And we have uh, Jewish meditation practices drawn from uh, mantra practice using uh, Hebrew uh, names of God or or, uh, sacred sounds. Um, This is the first time I heard of of a guru an Indian Swami uh, initiating somebody into Hebrew mantras.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Was that something he had done before? Did he uh, I, uh, did he do that to re uh, connect you with your own spiritual roots? What was that about, and um, how did you take to it?
1: Yes. He did that to reconnect me to my own Jewish roots, which he perceived. um, Selamiji, I I believe, was a celestial adept, which means that he could see, act with and talk to other adepts of other traditions. So when he met somebody, he was having conversations, for instance, with the Jewish adepts that I kind of um, that are in my own lineage And I believe some of the practices he gave me came from those higher level conversations. I'm not the only Jewish consultee that received those practices from him. There there were several of us. Interesting. Um, Yeah, so it came from a high place. But what I would say is that the reason many Hindus and Bujus are drawn to those Eastern (laughs) paths are because it's really hard to find a quote path of enlightenment that's clear in the jewish tradition right if if you look at a jewish service there's a lot in the service that speaks to entering the silence and the one including the great mantra the shema
3: right
1: the actual practicality of it on a um, ongoing inner basis is really difficult to find And it's difficult to find a real enlightened um, being in the Jewish tradition. Hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah, let let me, uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, A couple of things. One is, how did your family react to you going in this eastern direction? And also, uh, have you interacted with any, uh, say, uh, um, uh, Hasidic folks And or or, uh, maybe uh, particularly Lubavitch, people who had studied maybe with Lubavitch Rebbe, and how, uh, if you have, how they have reacted to your spiritual practices and your spiritual path?
1: I don't have any close contact with Hasidic folks. I've dabbled, um, and I haven't found it easy to share my inner life with them. You know, it's a, kind of an outer-focused path with ritual and food and uh, observances of holidays, um, mm-hmm. none of which interests me that deeply. Um, I'm more interested in direct contact. But,
3: and
0: your family? How did your family react?
1: Uh, starting with Barbara Brennan, my dad and mother thought I was joining a cult. And um, over many years, they got used to my new direction and were quite proud of me um they never met swamiji but my dad loved the fact that swamiji always wanted us to have a stable life so my dad liked that but you know swamiji fo- helped us focus on our physical life as well as our spiritual life um mm-hmm. they were about the same age um and they never had much comment they died before my book came out and um I don't know what they would think of some of the things I wrote about. <laughs> so. well, well,
3: well,
2: you should have uh, well, enough practices to be able to consult, to check with them at this point.
1: I could, but the funny <laughs> thing is, is my 90-year-old aunt in Boca Raton, Florida, read the book from cover to cover overnight and loved it, so I think I'm okay.
2: <laughs> great. That's great. That's great. Um, in your mind, um, what... Uh, you just described, uh, to my mind, very well the basic uh, deficiency in, in uh, the Western traditions. We shouldn't just uh, include Judaism, but in in in, uh, in Christianity as well. Um, the uh, what do what does Kabbalah bring to to the path for you or and for the people you work with? that is not in the Vedic tradition?
1: Huh. Um, I first, I'd like to say what it does bring to me personally. I'm not sure if I can separate it, because I think it is in the Vedic tradition. But for me, um, there's this sense in Kabbalah of a direct communion with light itself. And... um, the tree of life is actually 10 qualities that are names of God. So right away, you're in contact with a divine name, divine frequency. Um, And I find it to be an embodied path, at least in the way I learned it. I didn't learn it symbolically. And it bridges the physical, mental, emotional, symbolic and spiritual worlds they're all included so you can um start wherever you find yourself and at the same time you're in touch with these god qualities that permeate all the teachings Mm -hmm. um Uh, but i would say that's true in the vedic path also
0: mm -hmm. danny uh you mentioned before that uh people doing kundalini uh would have the experience of, of uh, enlightenment or a glimpse of it, and then uh, that would go away, and there would be some depression, whatnot. Uh, how, how would you describe uh, enlightenment and wh- wh- when and how and how would somebody know if it becomes a permanent state?
1: Good question. I don't think anybody's been able to describe enlightenment because personhood just dis- disappears. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if there's any end to it. For me, I I kind of looking at I'm kind of looking at an increasing absorption into the one and also an increasing ability to be in the relative world and remember that.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So so that's I, I don't know if there's an end to that journey. Um, It does help to have some benchmarks on the path, and I think in my book I describe some of those benchmarks, but you can't hold on to that as an experience that the ego is going to just take and say, now I can hold my sign up and I'm that. It just, there's never that. There's no footholds. It's Mm -hmm. a continuing dissolution of anything that you'd want to hang on to um, or could describe with thought or words.
0: Right. So we have time for a couple of more questions.
2: Um, Danny, you talk about benchmarks on the path and uh, link those to uh, the Kabbalah uh, tree of life. Can you uh, describe, I don't know how many benchmarks you you, uh, delineate, but can you describe to us some of the uh, more uh, important ones and how they tie into Kabbalah?
1: Right, Um, and again, What I'm going to say you would not hear in traditional Kabbalah, for instance, Tiferet in the Tree of Life is kind of at the heart center and is known to be compassion and beauty and harmony. Um, I look at it as the state where you can tolerate the um, comings and goings and opposites and not be... um, not be thrown here or there, not be on a roller coaster, but stay in equanimity. But traditional Kabbalists would say that only Moses achieved that state. Uh, uh, so mm-hmm. I don't believe that. I believe we all can. And if you go up towards the top of the tree of life, towards Keter, which is crown, that would be akin to Bindu and Kundalini, which is oneness, you know, the one without the second. And, you know, I had a a very strong glimpse of that, and I describe that at the end of the book. And that keeps on expanding until that glimpse experience um, becomes your normal reality. And then it becomes ordinary, actually. And then there's further expansion into a unified state. But I also would say that... um, you don't become some automata- automaton disconnected from daily life. You know, you still have to function in duality and bring that sense of e- expansion into oneness into daily life. You know, that's the journey of the Jivanmukta Mukta mm-hmm. in um, the yogic terminology. Um, and in the Jewish path, they say, you know, you just return to the world you repair the world basically mm-hmm. you take that enlightenment and you help others you help other people
0: right uh, along, along those lines i'm just thinking now i i believe in in judaism uh, a good act of that sort is called the mitzvah am, am i correct and, and if i and if so uh, is there a, a a a vedic word that that would match that
1: um I don't know. I mean, the path of the bodhisattva, it's not Vedic, Vedic it's more Buddhist, is the one mm-hmm. who, who stays to do good in the world. And the mm-hmm. path of the mitzvot or mitzvah, singular, is, you know, you transform your ego by being of service. It's like karma yoga, mm-hmm. karma yogi. And, yeah. Well, the
2: word seva probably comes close. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Phil, any final questions? No, I would ask uh, Danny in the minute right. or so we have remaining. Uh, we obviously couldn't uh, get into everything we would like to, so perhaps you'll come back sometime. But what what final words would you like to leave with our listener uh, listeners? <laughs> we have more than one. Uh, and... Um, Uh, We'll have all your uh, links and and websites and everything up, but what, what final message would you like to convey?
1: Well, really the title of the book, which is Wired for God, that everybody has this sacred wiring within them. God is within you, and it's the yearning that needs to come up that will lead you to your path. And everybody has guides and beings that are, Um, looking to help you progress on your spiritual path. And I don't think you can really make a wrong turn because there's lessons in even the wrong turns. Mm -hmm. But you have to keep that fire going because laziness um, won't get you there. So find a way to deepen into one practice and find a teacher or find a a way of um, keeping the fires burning through practice.
3: Very Great. good.
0: Yeah, Danny, thank you so much. Again, uh, the book Wired for God. And by, and by the way, uh, Danny Atman, the author, I yes. yes. uh, guess today. And uh, the foreword is by Marcy Shaimov, a very, very good friend of mine. Oh. I was her dean of students when she was an undergraduate <laughs> student at Maharishi University many years ago. Her class just, well, they had a, they were, a reunion. I won't say how many years because we don't want to give it all away. But uh, Marcy's a. <laughs> She's been on our show at least once. She's been on our show,
2: so you can look for both Marcy in our archive and Joan Harrigan in our archive to supplement this uh, good lecture, uh, good interview with Danny.
1: Danny, thank you.
2: Be well. Thank
1: you. you. you It's been a delight. (laughs)